0: Hey everyone, Hoppo here. Unfortunately, I haven't been able to get into the studio because of the COVID outbreak, so the quality of these episodes may not be as good as usual. But stay safe, and uh, we'll get through all this together. Welcome to Life's a Beach. I'm Bruce Hopkins, better known as Hoppo from Bondi Rescue. Each week, I'll be sharing some stories, the good, the bad, and everything in between. I'll be chatting to guests about their life experiences and giving our listeners an insight to the challenges we have faced in our lives. We'll share a few jokes and some banter along the way and hopefully our experiences will resonate with you. As the saying goes, while life's a beach, it can also be a bitch. Hey everyone, this week on Life's a Beach, this guy's known as the Green Machine. Danny Green, he was born and bred in Perth WA, he has multiple world boxing titles, he speaks about his fight with Roy Jones Jr. and the media beat up when he fought the man Anthony Mundine. Danny's now retired and he is running his successful gyms around the world. Then we'll have the rest of the show as usual, now let's have a listen to my chat with Danny. Danny. Okay, this week in the Beach Shack, it's uh, a pleasure to have the green machine, Danny Green. How are you, mate?
1: Good, Hoppo. How are you, buddy? Oh, mate, going
0: really well. How's it been in Perth? I mean, we're currently locked down in Sydney, so uh, how's Perth been?
1: Uh, pretty, been pretty magic, thanks, bud. Um, we're pretty <laughs> blessed here, mate. It's, um, you yeah, know, all sorts of crazy shit going on in the world and... A lot of it's not making sense, and uh, yeah. we're pretty, we're, we're very lucky over here. Yeah. i very fortunate in WA, mate.
0: Yeah, mate, it's uh, it seems that way, and hopefully, uh, we can all get over there soon, and uh, you know, and catch up. Come get some waves, mate. <laughs> we need some. This hasn't been great here, but it's uh, we've had some big swells, but nothing, uh, nothing uh, really, really good over the last week or two. So, a lot of sun leaves, uh coming out of winter. Well, mate, you're um. You're from Perth, and uh, so how about we take it back to the young Denny Green,
1: and uh, how was it growing up over there? Uh it was um, it was pretty good, mate. Yeah, it was pretty, pretty, pretty standard, yeah. I guess, run of the mill. Yeah. Um, you know, we didn't have to worry about iPhones, didn't have to worry about computers, yeah. didn't have to worry about yeah. technology and all that junk. Which um, I'm I'm got, I'm pretty stuck in the mud, mate. I, yeah. I don't I don't want to know about technology. I hate it. Yeah, um, I'm pretty much the same, mate. So, and that's that's just my uh, um, my lack of knowledge. And um, but yeah, growing up in Perth was great, mate. Yeah. Playing footy, surfing when I was young, started karate when I was young. Then, um, you know, I was always pretty active, and, yeah. and my mates and I were always because we didn't really have shit to do inside. We, you know, VHS was just starting to come out, so um, videos, really. Yeah. And it took you five minutes to put it in and start and press play. Yeah. So, you know, back then we had patience. Kids today wouldn't have be been able to deal with what we had to deal with back then. You know how it goes, mate. If you right. wanted to meet someone at the beach and you were going to meet them there at 6am in the morning, you'd meet them there, and if they weren't there, you'd give them 15 minutes and you'd go. Yeah, you know, or You know, or you'd have to get 20 cents to get a – you'd have to get 20 cents or 30 cents went up a bit to get a coins, to then make a phone call, find a phone, make a phone call. If they didn't answer, you knew they are on their way. <laughs>
0: That's right. It's the same here
1: uh, yeah, growing up.
0: Was, and if you missed them, especially going out at night, you, you had a place to meet. And if you weren't there, they were gone, and you had to work out where they would have gone, you know. And you're doing about three or four different places, that regular haunts you used to go to, yeah. So t- kids these days, if you take the phone away, like my kids, you take the phone away from them and uh, – Mate, it's, it's the end of the world for them.
1: And they don't really know how to work things out. If they don't have the mm-hmm. phone, they're kind of stuck. It's like far yeah. out. Yeah, like, yeah. What do I do? Like you just said then, you had to work out where they were, you, you know, two or three or four places. You go, oh, where, where, where the boys going to be tonight? Yeah, I yeah, wonder yeah, who they'll be. Yeah, yeah. And you go there. And yeah. then five times out of ten, you'd be right. But the kids today, I think they're losing a bit of um, a bit of their own, uh, ing- like having to work shit out themselves. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, I agree. They, they yeah. don't have it. That's right. Mate, uh, you mentioned the karate, and I was going to ask from there, was that the inspiration then to go into boxing? How did boxing come about?
1: I always wanted to box since I was a young fella. My old man wasn't a fighter, but he loved the boxing. And then he used to take me to the pubs um, to, to watch the fights and I'd you know, be in my pyjamas when I was 10 and 12 years old. I'm sitting at the bar watching the fights on Sky Channel back in the day, you know. Yeah. And um, that's I fell in love with it. And I was like, man, I want to do that. That's what I want to do. But I didn't realize I gravitated towards it. And then the old man got us into karate. My brother and I when we were young um, through a mate of his because we didn't really know anyone in boxing apart from then when I was about 70. Excuse me. I started kickboxing and had a few kickboxing fights before I boxed in the ring and then uh, but my father worked at Hungry Jacks for 38 years and he uh, met a man called Patrick de Valeres a little Burmese fellow who emigrated with his family and his brother's family um, and they brought their their family out and they lived in a, in a, in a, in a house together in a three bedroom house with a family there's probably 12 people all up in the house and then he started working at Hungry Jacks with my old man and then he and my old man hit it off and then obviously his four sons they were Australian amateur champions Pat was Burmese champion back in the day I had a session one day, um, joined in a session with my brother who was doing some pre-season footy, my brother's a pretty good footballer, so he took, Pat took my brother and my mate and Whizzer and me for a boxing session, and I'd been doing karate, had my black belt, all that kind of junk, yeah. but boxing was what I wanted to do, and from that day on, um, that changed my life, mate. At what age
0: were you at that, at that stage?
1: I was 18, my first right. training session, and then within four months I had my first amateur boxing fight. Yeah. and then that went from there the amateur boxing and then you went into um, you know, eventually got to
0: the Commonwealth Games and you know how was uh, that process of of wanting
1: to go to the Commonwealth Games oh, I was for me I wanted to you know back then I was like I want to win a state title right. and I was like I want to win an Australian title I want to win the Oceania title I want to go to the Commonwealth Games I want to go to the Olympic Games I want yeah. to turn pro I want to win a world title it kind of just just kept going and going and um, I remember I was so excited winning my first state title back here in WA. I won by yeah. the first round KO. I knocked a guy out who was the favourite, put him away in the first round. And all my mates were there cheering me on. It was just such a magic feeling. It was probably as good as winning a world title because right. it was so raw and so new. And I was young and it's like far out. This is yeah. the best feeling ever. And it just fueled. It fueled my fire to want to be um, – a champion in, in in my sport and and to be successful, and working hard was never a problem for me, mate. Sacrificing, going without things was never a problem for me for my sport. I was very very focused, very driven. Um, I'm pretty ordinary with uh, organisation and shit like that. People go, I don't know how you did it, <laughs> how I run business, how I got shit going, but I just it all just sums to come together. But boxing was one area in my life that I was very very driven and focused on from a very young age. I wanted to succeed I wanted to be the best but I didn't realise I know now looking back that was my mindset but when I was doing it I was just doing it because I wanted to fight
0: right and you had that reason so you had the why you wanted to do it I think and that's probably why you became successful
1: yeah like anything you know if you want it bad enough you'll make it happen and Mm. you overcome like I've overcome you know so many career ending injuries that I don't think many fighters would have been able to persevere with just because I was like it is what it is, it hurts, but it's only pain, it'll go away, yeah. live to fight yeah. another day. I just bang, just want to just want to charge on. Like yeah. like anyone who's been successful, whether it's they're successful, and success is not I don't measure success as winning mm. or being, you know, have success and winning lots of money or that kind of shit. I measure success mm. as your own personal achievements. And that may be the guy who gets up and goes to work every day, comes home and then he's able to put food on the table for his family. And watch his kids grow and put his kids in school and not even, you know, does it doesn't feel private school, any school, and then watch him play sport and watch them grow up and progress and and just be a good dad and be a good human. To me, that's success. That's yeah. people like that are people I admire and respect more than, let's say, some high flying, you know, businessman who's, you know, kind of born to do that shit and didn't really have to work hard to do it, mm-hmm. just kind of come their way. If someone's worked hard for something, that's what I respect.
0: Yeah, and I agree. And I think this, uh, as you're saying earlier, the generations coming through, they want everything, but they want it easy. I don't think a lot of um, kids these days want to work hard for
1: for what they achieve. I agree, mate. I think um, there's a lot of kids out there that work hard, but compared to and and compared to my generation, like when I was younger, and then go back generations before that, mm. you know, like I, I was, I was. We were, we, were, we had an easy run compared to the, the, the people back in the day, yeah. Yeah. you know. And then someone I don't know, someone said to me last night. Mum said, my mum, I went to my mum, and she said something. I said, Mum, people got to walk. Um, she said, I, oh, you know, bring your car in because it was pouring rain. Bring your car in and, and I'll give you that, and we'll make it easier. I said, Mum, people in in countries still now to this day every day have to walk miles and miles and miles yeah. to go and fetch dirty water to feed their family. It's it's rain. It's nothing. Yeah. So, you know, like yeah. we, we we really we really do have it pretty easy in this country. And the young kids of this generation, particularly, everything's they can just get shit like that. Mm. Everything's at a, at the drop of their finger, at the drop of a hat. They can just click the thing. It's there. Very impatient, and um, they don't really have to go looking for much. And I, I just mm. find that our brains, young brains, aren't developing and aren't working out to be kind of street smart as well because mm. everything's just right there. You can just get it.
0: Yeah, I find that with the kids uh, around Bondi and that, the same thing It's and that's street smart it's something that really stands out and that's what we got when we were kids growing up, you had to be street smart and I think that that's gone now in the generation's coming behind and I think it's a shame that um, it's gone that way. Yeah mate it's sad. But I, funny enough I, I ran into a guy that I've grown up with um, and I've known since teenage years and I'm not going to give the name away. You know him. I want to uh, run through a few things here because he he mentioned a a couple of things. And He went to the Commonwealth Games with you and he said, bring up this story on, uh," and you've mentioned uh, Hungry Jacks. He said, we used to get these vouchers and we used to go around and get Hungry Jacks. Was that Paddo? Yeah, that's it. He said I read in a Pato yesterday and he said, mate, I said I'm gonna interview Danny and he goes, Mate, you gotta tell him this story when we uh when we used to go to Hungry Jack's.
1: He was the he- well, mate, he was a heavyweight, so he could afford to, to, to he <laughs> was kinda of taking on the vouchers cause he was the only one that could because we all had to make weight, whereas Pato was heavyweight, so he'd had no weight restrictions. Yeah, <laughs> Well mate
0: I've my- have you seen him? Uh, you seen him lately? And uh, he said, "Oh, mate, he'll probably bag me." And I said, "Oh, well, we'll do our best to bag you." But it looks like he's been—he looks like he's been the hungry Jacks. Plenty more times,
1: mate, since then. <laughs> been a good paddock, has he? <laughs> yeah. Good on him, mate. Good on you, mate. We had some good memories back in the day. Had a, had a lot of laughs, and mate, it was—it was a great time. The Commonwealth Games, you know, for yeah. me, that was my big first. Okay, I was—I'd been going away in Australian boxing teams, but the Commonwealth Games, I was like, man, this is this is rad. You know, wow, yeah, get an Australian pet. jacket, you get this. You know, you represent Australia, represent Australia before in, in international tournaments, but that was the biggest one before the Olympics for me to represent mm-hmm. Australia. Such a, yeah, we were all real proud. Yeah, and how did you go in that one? Was, was it the expectation? Obviously, everyone
0: wants to go and win. What's the, uh, what was the expectation at that time?
1: Yeah, mate, I was, I was, I was there. To, I would I performed really well in tournaments before that. I'd fought over in England and knocked out the, 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 the English champion the guy that was supposed to represent England in their Commonwealth Games team, we went to their mm-hmm. tournament in Liverpool, and there was two from each weight division for England. And I knocked out the favourite. And then the other guy, Andrew Lowe, who actually, not Andrew Lowe, the guy, I can't remember his name, he won, he went to uh, the Commonwealth Games for England, and he had win the gold medal. Um, yeah. But I knocked the actual favourite out, and I knocked out a couple of real good fighters, and knocked out the Kiwi, knocked out a Samoan. So I was, I was on a pretty good run, I had some good fights, and beat some real good fighters up until then. And then I won my first fight, um, but I broke my left hand really badly in the first round of the first fight. Finished the fight, won the fight, but I couldn't continue because my hand was right. really bad and required surgery after. So right. that was my Commonwealth Games experience over. So it was mm. kind of a kind of a bit of a, it was a bit of a letdown for me. Mm. I won my first mm. fight, but it was a bit of a letdown, unfortunately, because I couldn't, I wasn't able to continue. Mm.
0: And then onto the uh, the Sydney Olympics. How
1: was that experience in your home country? Oh man, it's magic is magic, I play. Like that was that was a dream, you know. Like every fighter as an amateur wants to go there be games, yeah. and um, I remember getting represented to, to to go when I won the tournament down in Canberra, and um, I knocked out the, the we had to fight I had three fights in um, in three days, and won the tournament, and that was the selection for Australians to go, and then um, walking into the Australian into the opening ceremony in Australia, a hundred thousand people at Aussie State or wherever it was the ANZ Stadium back in the day. It was just full on. It was such a such a momentous occasion for all the athletes, yeah. particularly the Australians walking in, you know, in the home country. And won my first fight against Brazil, beat a really good young fighter from Brazil, put him away in the fourth round, and I was the only Australian to fight on that night. Fifty fights, they'd waited all day for an Australian to fight, and then next fight, I made my way into the next fight in the second round against uh, the world champion, Alexander the Beast Lebziak from Russia and was going real well I dropped him in the second round um, I cracked him hard in the first round but it, you might be able to see it here but um, where is it there a bit of bone oh, there poking
0: out there yeah I can see it on your hand the bone there yeah yeah so yeah.
1: I, I broke down I, I, I wiped him with a real good right hand would have dropped a lot of people he's just kind of going Whoa. I just, <laughs> I, think I just I just pissed him off you know <laughs> and um, I, I, I was really proud man. I performed real well he broke my nose bad in round two and you know, I was I was so stoked to be in there with the best fighter at the Olympic Games. He won the gold medal, did it easy after me. I gave him the hardest fight, so for me, I was proud, and it was a good tournament for me. And I was I was stoked to stoked to be an Olympian, just yeah. you know, I still am. And um, you know, watching the last Olympics is like brought back great memories. It was magic, and you know, I've still got the track suits. I hand them down to my kids, and you know, all that kind of jazz. And uh, yeah, it was it was awesome. Yeah, mate, great
0: achievement. And uh, and then you turned pro though was and and I noticed that. You turned pro
1: at 28. Is that correct? Is, yeah. Is that is that an older for a, a fighter to turn pro? It is, Hopper. Yeah, man. I was 25 when I went to the Commonwealth Games. I grew an inch taller when I was 25 years old and grew a shoe size. Like I was, a, I was, you know, pretty strange to be still developing in that late stage of my life. I didn't have my first amateur fight till I was 18. So a lot of the amateurs they they turn they they're fighting when they're nine, ten, eleven, 12, 13 years old a lot of wear and tear on them so I didn't have that wear and tear on me as a, as a and obviously I was very durable so I was born with a lot of durability and, 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 and I was able to withstand a lot of punishment my body you just deal with it mate you, you, you're either durable or you're not and you can make yourself more durable by being mentally tough as well there's you know, some blokes out there that are cats you know they're good fighters but they're cats because they don't want to put up the paint mm. um, so you've got to be durable and in anything in life doesn't matter whether it's boxing or sport or whatever so yeah, I turned pro late, and um, it was kind of I, I hadn't really had a lot of a lot of experience when I turned pro, so I was pretty fresh to the game. Still, I'd only had forty three amateur fights when I turned pro, which isn't a great deal. Right,
0: mate. I'll talk about uh, now some of the fights you had as a pro. And Roy Jones Jr. What, what was that like? I mean, he was a, you know a legend of the boxing, and, and then
1: suddenly here you are, you know, going to fight him. Mate, it was I still pinched myself, Hoppo. I, I I still can't believe that I was actually got to fight Roy Jones Junior and you know Yeah, it was it was a dream come true. No one gave me a single hope in hell. Roy just thought, yeah, I'll go to Australia, fight this guy, Green. He can fight, he can punch, he's he's a rugged guy, but I'll take care of him and, and that's that's what the smart money would have suggested. I would have bet on Roy Jones if I was a gambling man.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah. But for that fight my trainer and myself, Angelo hired up, um, We had immense self-belief, and to win a fight like that against Roy, and if I fought Roy the next day, could have been a different story. Who knows? And if I didn't let Roy get out of the first round, could have been a different story as well. If he got chugging and got his engine going, it could have been a different story. So I knew I had to jump on him early. Took the punt too. So I took a big punt to jump on him. Like I could have gassed out and been fucked. Mm. So I took a big punt, and I believed in myself. Angela and I believed in what we had. For me, it was a real team effort with myself and Angelo. I'm the fighter. I'm the guy, and they're doing it. I'm the guy that makes the decisions. I'm the guy that does it all. But to get there and to have that relationship with my trainer, Angelo, it was pretty special. We were, we were really on song that night, and I, I gave myself every chance to be victorious, which is, I think, why I won, because I had self-belief. No one else really gave me a chance apart from my tra- my team, my trainer, family, close mates. Um, everyone else thought, Roy's going to wipe the floor with me, which the smart money would suggest. But I caught him early, and um, and that was it. And I was good enough to, to catch him, and I was good enough to then, and and clinical enough. It wasn't like every punch I threw when he got up to finish him off. wasn't just throwing wild swings. It was a clinical approach, and we knew that if we got him, and he and he did get up, that we had to really be clinical and and efficient with every shot we threw. There's a, I won't bore you with it. There's a whole lot that goes into preparation, and. Yeah. And the tactics and then when he was down and got up and I went in and finished him off there's you know there's a lot of stuff that went into it and I had the absolute fight of my life I threw every punch perfectly on that night everything just came together on the biggest night of my life which isn't very common in sport of boxing sometimes you can fall short the moment gets to you I was on that night it was the best night of my life in my entire boxing career and the best yeah. I've ever felt and it all come together against the best fighter that, I'm ever, that I ever would have faced
0: and mate you always hear of athletes say that their perfect uh, performance they could see things in slow motion As cricketers they say oh, it looks like a, 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 a basketball or things like that they see everything so much in slow motion was that something that, that you felt on that saying that that was one of your best fights you've ever had
1: Mate, I identify with Roy two key areas that I was able to expose that no other fighters. Because I did a lot of video analysis. I don't just go in there and you know just go hammer and tongs, train hard, put the hood on, go for a run in the morning, come home have have a raw steak and and an egg milkshake, and then go to work. You know, it's 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 a very it can be very scientific, and we studied and analysed Roy and what he did when he was uh, on the ropes, what he did when he was up against it, what he did when he was attacking. How he handled pressure, how he handled things when he got hurt, what he did when he hurt people, how he hurt them, the best shots he used, the best shots for us to avoid, my best tactics, my strengths, my weaknesses. So there's a whole thing, whole lot of stuff that goes into a preparation. Mm-hmm. But when the I identified two areas that I was going to able to expose and I and I exposed them and they worked, so they they just worked hundred percent. They couldn't have gone any better and in the first round. And I remember when I first when I went out there, I like to get the first shot off in a fight. I like to punch. I want to feel them. I want, I want them to feel my power, even if I don't land clean. I want them to feel it on the arms, on the shoulder, on the guts, and the, anywhere. I just want to punch them. I want to feel my fists in their face. And so um, I, I landed a shot on Roy in the guts early, and I and I remember going straight away, going. F- I felt myself far out. I just hit Roy Jones Jr. You know, it was a bit of a trip. And then yeah, man, it it, it didn't go in slow motion. It just went according to I was kind of like on autopilot because we'd trained so hard and it was drilled into me what I needed to do. So I was kind of just fighting instinctively and then when the opportunity arose, presented itself, I took that opportunity without having to think about it. It just happened and that's what comes down to preparation, mate. Preparation is absolutely the key to anyone who wants to be victorious in anything in their life. Yeah. Mate, what about the Tava fight? Yeah, it wasn't wasn't a great night for me, unfortunately. And that's the sport you go. You can you can have a great night, and you can have an ordinary night. And Tarva was, Antonio Tava was a superstar. He beat Roy as well back in the day. Lost to him, but also beat him. It was a it was a bit of a is you know Tarva's a Antonio Tava's a bit of a legend in the game as well. And you know it was it was, it was older than me, and you know we were both uh, you know heading towards the twilight of our careers, but you know both. Proven that we we'll, we we'll, we'll mix it with anyone and and mm-hmm. compete and could bet anyone so i put my title on the line against antonio tava and that night he he, he, he got me early he was a very skillful very cagey classy guy he was huge uh, he, he ended up being suspended for um for for steroids after the fight he got Sprung and, and, and tested positive, and you know they put the title back up for myself because I was a cha- former champion. in the next in line which was Shane Cameron. But yeah, Tava had a really good night early on. I started getting back into the fight. I made my way back into the fight. Round six, round seven, nearly dropped him, hurt him pretty badly. I was hurt real bad in round one, round two. I was on my ass. He lifted me off my feet, and um, it was a big, you know, he's a big puncher. Mm. And then I'd taken too much punishment. And then um, in round nine, um, that's it. I, I finished the round, but I was fucked. My yeah. brother threw the towel in, he says, man, no more. And I was, I was concussed. I didn't really know what was going on. I was just, I wanted to go on. I was dirty at my brother. Yeah. Because all my fights, my, my, my brother's in my corner. He's, my, he's, my, my brother works super tight. And I said to him, said, if anyone throws a towel in, don't fucking come near me. Don't ever yeah, throw yeah. the towel Don't, no one throw a towel on me. Never. I'd rather, I'll go out my shield. Mm. And so um, he he didn't let me go out my shield then. I've gone out a plenty of <laughs> time before, but he didn't let me that night. I was fucking angry, <laughs> but I got it because he was doing it out of love, mate. Yeah, he yeah. saved me from getting knocked unconscious and mm. I didn't need it, I was getting beaten. The fight was, I wasn't gonna make my way back into it. He'd give me every chance to get back into it. I nearly got big into it and then it was it. I'd taken yeah. too much punishment early and so the writing was on the wall that the next round I was probably gonna get knocked out and I was taking a lot of shots. You know, I'm durable, so I was hanging in there and I wanted to fight. But uh, it was Antonio Tava's night. He had a better night. I lost the yeah. fight and that was it. Yeah.
0: Okay, mate, now the, uh, you know, you had a, a, a big tussle over the years with uh, Mundine. How was that, uh, the first fight with him?
1: Our oh, first fight was was a, was a tough one, mate. Very tough. Yeah, he won the fight. And, um, you know, it's such a massive build-up. The media built it up to something bad. They built it up crazy. And the rivalry was and is still very real. Mm-hmm. You know, people go, oh, "It's all put on." And your mates are like, what "Are you talking?" We'd have to be the best actors in the world. We both deserve Oscars. Yeah. The rivalry is was and always will be real. It was very difficult because I hadn't fought at super middleweight for a long time for a year and a half, eighteen months before we fought, and so I needed to move up in weight. But the opportunity was at super middleweight, and I should have been light heavyweight. I'd fought light heavyweight almost. Two thirds of my career, anyway. But I was I was the super middleweight world champion, and then as you get older, mate, you retain weight, you retain muscle. You, it's hard to lose weight. You get older, mate. So I couldn't yeah. get down the weight. So I sucked myself down to get down the, to the weight division. I had no gas in the tank. Yeah. I was I was completely cooked. But I, I was so determined to win because I had so much support that nothing was going to stop me. You know I was I was, I was proud that I went the, the twelve rounds and had him on the back foot almost the entire fight. But Chuck fought a great fight. He won the fight. He did what he had to do, um, and that was it. It's, it's you know, it's it's history yeah. and, and it's gone. And then we waited ten years for the rematch. Hmm. You know, and, and, what and what was the th- reason?
0: What was the reason for the for the big gap into you know before the second fight?
1: Don't ask me. I was ready to go the <laughs> next day,
0: yeah.
1: the next week, the next month, the next year, the next two years, the next three. That I was ready to go. We had an immediate rematch clause in there. Never, it was never. It should have happened, but that's that's not from my end. And right. Chuck will tell you, Chuck will say, oh, it's his fault. Yeah. yeah. No, the 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 rematch never happened because Chuck didn't want to have the rematch. Um, it should have happened way before 10 years. But it happened. We got there. We did it and won the fight, um, you know, and it's history. And, you know, a, lot, a lot's a lot been said over the years with, with Chuck and I. And, um, you know, he's going to go to his grave telling everyone he's a better fighter than me. I'm going to go to my grave knowing and telling everyone I'm a better <laughs> fighter than Chuck. I yeah. fought better fighters I beat better fighters than Choc Choc beat me I beat Choc he'll complain you know up and down I, I could complain about things but I won't it's not my style we were one apiece we had a massive rivalry there's no f- boxers in the history and Choc I pay respect to Choc I always I always have been respectful of Choc he's a he's a, he's a premiership player in rugby, rugby league and then gone across to boxing another very tough sport and won a world championship you know the guy's a phenomenal athlete And um, you know I enjoy watching the bloke, um, but I I just, you know, I feel that our rivalry is real, and and we both think we're better fighters than each other. And he'll talk about why he's better and who he's beaten. I'll talk about why I'm better and who I've beaten, and um, and that's how it is. That's what a, a genuine rivalry is. But the respect is there. And and away from the sport, I don't know Chuck personally very well at all. I don't. I've never spent time with him. We've never broken bread. I'm sure we will. Um, you know, I know we we've had a laugh over the time every now and then, you know, on the media we've taken the piss out of each other, he's yeah. taken the piss. He said some things that I thought were funny. I reckon he's 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 read some things that I've said that I reckon he was fine funny. Um maybe not. But uh, anyway, it is what it is, mate. Yeah. But yeah. for me, we we were well, Chalk was a pioneer of pay-per-view boxing in this country. Then I come along a short time after him and, and no one in this country has had more pay-per-views than Chuck. And I think I was the next in line. I've had the next second highest amount of pay-per-views in the country. And it's unfortunate and sad that um, you know co- some companies forget that. And mm-hmm. they f- that they forget that the crew now that are on Foxtel and, and, and Main Event, all this kind of stuff, they're there because guys like us that were paving the way. And before that, you had Jeff Fennec. And before that, you had the Zoo. And then you had Chalk and myself. And we kind of you know paved the way for these guys today. And unfortunately, the companies um they forget that and it's sad that they forget that and it's 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 a sad reflection of of, of loyalty i guess it's unfair it's and it's unfortunate but that's life mate you you move forward and nothing can take away what we achieved and what we yeah. did and what we had in those times you know, the, the highest pay-per-view the the biggest boxing fight in australian history was me and chok then the next one was me and roy then the next one was me and chok's rematch mm. and those records will never be beaten they'll never be eclipsed and to these days the guys that are fighting now they got it handed to them on a plate. They got Channel Nine, the Daily Telegraph, the Sun Herald, the Courier Mail, and Foxtel all working together. It was back in the day, we had those three companies working almost against each other. You know, these guys. Now these guys have got it. They got a dream run. So I, I could only imagine the pay per views we would have done if we had what the setup was today. It would have been. It would have been stupid what we would have done. But what we did was still crazy. Do you think the Sport of
0: boxing because of what you obviously have said just then, the rivalry between you and Mundine—it's—it's um, it, put the sport and the fans into that sport of boxing.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, without doubt. You know, it's, it's. I think it's, I, 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 and it's hard for me to say because I'm going to sound egotistical, but man, to be a fighter you need an ego, mm. and um, and and what we did was pretty full on, pretty pretty crazy. And, and those records, our, our fight will never be eclipsed That because the rivalry was real. They've tried to build rivalries. Other promoters and other, and Foxtel have tried to build rivalries with other fighters over the years. It's not work because it's not genuine. People can smell, especially Aussies, Aussies can smell shit real quick, and if it ain't real, they're not going to go for it, and you can't sell shit. So our rivalry was genuine. It was real, um, and it's still real to this day. So, you know. We'll see where the, where the sport goes. Sport's in a really healthy position, but for me, I'm very proud of what we did, what me and Chuck achieved, and I always pay respect to Chuck. You know, he paved the way. He was a pioneer of pay-per-view boxing in this country. No one's going to ever do more pay-per-views than that bloke, but I'm just a better fighter than him. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, the, uh, you
0: know, there's a lot of kids that, like you said, you're a kid looking up and looking at, at, at boxing. and. There's a lot in rugby league and, and the AFL at the moment with, you know, head injuries and head knocks. And what what advice would you have to a mother that, you know, their their child might go, I want to be a boxer. And, you know, the mother's, oh, yeah, but it's a, a
1: bit of a dangerous type of sport. And what, what would be your advice there? I can't dispute that it's a dangerous sport. I cannot dispute it. You know, it is, it's a dangerous sport. I rolled the dice for a long time. I'm going to pay the pun- I'm going to pay the you wanna dance, Papa, you gotta pay the band mate. Yeah. I'll be paying the band down the track, who knows, mate? I'll be paying my entry fee when I'm older, I don't know. Yeah. It is what it is, buddy. Yeah. I chose it, I signed up for it. It's me. Um it is a dangerous sport. Any 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 knock to the head's dangerous, so I can't dispute mm-hmm. what mothers or what everyone says in that respect. You know, if you wanna do it, you'll do it. If you're not, it is you know, people say you sung in a fight, I don't know. If he wants to, well, I'm not gonna be able to stop him. You know, and yeah. if he wants to fight, he's going to fight for the right reasons, because yeah. he wants to fight, because he wants yeah. to win, because he wants to test himself against another person at the ultimate level. If he, if if, if that, that that desire is not there for the right reasons, I'll, I'll oppose it um, as best I can. But you know, he'll be his own man yeah. in time. So it is what it is, buddy. But um, yeah, it yeah. the concussion thing's real, mm. but. Uh Talking about dancing,
0: you, uh, you're on Dancing with the Stars. One I minute mean, you're, you're boxing and then, uh, you know, how was that experience of dancing? I mean, I can't dance to save myself. I'm, I don't know about you, but how would you find that?
1: Mate, I, I, I got all the way to the final. So um, <laughs> I just bluffed my way through. <laughs> um, so it was pretty funny, mate. Um, wearing those spray-on pants, mate, that was a challenge. First time we went out there, I was, I was shitting myself so bad. I was so scared. And um, I was so nervous because it's live, you know, and you make one mistake, you're like, oh. And I forgot what I was doing one night. I messed up in the middle of a dance, just totally forgot, had no top on, you know, had spray on pants. I was like, oh, man, this is felt so (laughs) stupid. But I had a lot of fun, had a laugh and, you know, it was what it was. It actually helped my boxing. So my Angela Hyder and I, after after I did that show, I was looser. I was more relaxed. I really was. It actually really yeah. helped my boxing. So, you know, the young fella Harry Garso, took up ballet to improve his boxing, the Olympian kid. It's real. Bo- dancing yeah. and, and those, those kind of, anything with fluid movement is going to help your boxing, because boxing should be fluid movement. As or, wow. You should try and be as fluid as you can. So dancing absolutely can enhance um, boxing, the sport of boxing. Mm. If you're young people out there want to try and learn a bit more or try and get a bit more fluid or get a bit more coordination, take up dancing. A, it'll help you with the boxing. B, chicks dig it.
0: Yeah, that's right. Good advice. <laughs> Mate, uh, I'm a celebrity. Get me out of here. Did,
1: did, did the boxing help that with the, being mentally tough? It's a piece of cake. Right. So I was watching these other people complain. I'm going, you guys, are, you guys what are you complaining about? <laughs> like, it's, it's nothing. This is so easy. It's just going with a bit of food and being bored. How hard can it be? Yeah. So uh, I see people complain and they, they get, you know, they, they piss and moan about it but you know what on the same token it was tough because emotionally you're away from everything you got no phone you got no contact with your family at all you don't know what's going on with your kids you don't know where they are i mean no news was good news if there was an emergency though the, the show would have come in and say hey mate yeah. something's gone wrong whatever so thankful that didn't happen but it was was Chalk was in there as well and, and it was funny you know Chuck and i we didn't speak a great deal but um you know i reckon if he stayed in there much longer we would have been having a few laughs together. Yeah. Um, he did a couple of things that I thought was pretty funny, and um and and had to laugh once he dropped his guts once in front of the girls and because the girls were sitting there, these two girls were sitting there trying to suck up to him, and he could see through them, and he's just he's let one rip and just pissed himself laughing, and I was down under a camp, pissing myself laughing, going yes, because I, I, it doesn't take much to amuse me, and farting is a big farting. I think is one of the funniest things in the world. So um yeah, it was kind of cool and. Yeah, he took off. He got out of there. He had his reasons to get out of there. Good luck to him. But um, yeah, it was what it was, mate. Yeah. It was, you know, you're in the middle of nowhere. It was a great experience. I got to see a, a magical country, yeah, South yeah. Africa, which I never thought I'd get to see.
0: Mate, uh, I just saw recently you, you sold your uh, your hot rod car,
1: mate. I had a look at the pictures, and what an amazing car that was. Yeah, it was sick. It was mm. sick, mate. It was is truly it was truly an animal. But it was time to go, mate. I had it for 14 years. I look at myself. People go, are oh, you going to regret it? I go, no, I'm not. I was blessed. I never thought I'd ever have a car like that, ever. And yeah. I had it for 14 years. So I look at myself as very, very fortunate to have had something like that for 14 years. And B, I don't want to hand that to my son and, and, and think that one day he could cause carnage um, with one, one brain snap, one brush of blood, and he can cause carnage to himself or others because it really was, a, it is a powerful beast. Yeah.
0: Mate, tell us a bit about the, the Australian Hotel Association supported you in, in the one punch. And you're a big uh, cow punch. Cow punch. Yep. Um, tell us a little bit about that. That's a, a, a very a, a great thing to be involved
1: with. Yeah, I started about 2012. I just want to make a difference. Try and get people to realise that hey, I'm a fighter, and 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 you know what I do can be violent, but I don't condone I don't condone this unnecessary violence. Sometimes blokes, I think I'm not against violence. I'm against unnecessary cowardice yeah scumbags taking the piss and, th- and hitting people for no reason because they're weak they don't have any balls they're not brave they're just they're dogs and so i look at that that's what i campaign against unnecessary cowardice and street violence you know if you're going to start a fight for no reason you're 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 a, a dero. you deserve to get flogged and i've got no mm-hmm. problem with people being flogged if someone needs a flogging they need a flogging our, our world's too soft but unnecessary violence for no reason. I hate, I can't stand, I can't tolerate, so I try and campaign against it to try and expose these maggots. And the AHA have been outstanding. It's funny, people go, well, how can the Australian Hotel Association be involved? They've been one of the biggest supporters from day one because lots of the trouble doesn't happen inside, the, it's proven, lots of trouble doesn't happen actually inside their venues. People go, oh, they get people pissed. No, the person goes there and buys alcohol. He gets himself or herself pissed. And... You and I, we've been blind heaps of times, Hippo, we don't yep. go out and do what we do. It's the per- yep. it's the individual. Drugs and alcohol, ice is different, meth's different. It it really does it it, it screws with people bad. Mm. But the individual most people go out there and can get pissed and and, and enjoy themselves, whatever they do. I, I gave the booze away, I don't drink anymore. Yep. But um, you know, they can go out and get drunk and and and, and, and not get violent or, or hurt anyone or hit anyone, it's up to the individual. So that's why the AHA have been so pivotal in their support. Because, and I support them as well because the, they've done everything they can to try and curb and try and, you know, what's the word, regulate, mm. you know, people when they get too blind and they've got security there and then you know, people that are not served, they're cut off, etc mm. not allowed back in. Most of the trouble happens outside of, of, of establishments or on the street or at parties or even in the home, you know, at parks or in the street mm. or train stations. It's not really happening in, in venues as much as people think. So the AHA, very people in their support. They've been amazing. Um, the president there, Scott Leach, um, of the AHA, has been a fantastic supporter. Um, uh, Stephen Ferguson, who was who is one of the, the head honchos there, he's just been a legend, and he's kind of our political conduit to get the uh, funding because, um, you know, it's all for love, man. I've, I've not taken a single cent in 12 years. It's cost me a shitload of my own money to do. Yeah. But it's. I believe it's a good cause. And, and like yourself and all your mates, we're all on the same page. Yeah, mate, it's a, it's a great cause. Uh, mate, now, you're up to now with your uh, – you've got gyms. Uh, that's what uh, you're doing at the moment? Yeah, 12 Round Fitness is a franchise I've got around the country. I started with my partners in my other gyms. Um, uh, in 2015, we started that, and it's um, we've got 80 gyms around the country. We're in New Zealand, Singapore, and obviously COVID kicked us in the guts a little bit as far as our expansion goes. But we're now expanding um, into the UK and the US once borders are open, etc. And um, you know the world kind of calms down and settles down a bit. Um, but yeah, it's 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 been a, a magic ride, and, and and just fusing boxing and, and and functional training into one workout, and people love it. It's real, it works, and um, it's it's been phenomenal. Well, mate, thanks for uh, for that, Danny.
0: But uh, I always do the uh, five fun facts at the end of the interview, so we'll rip in pretty quick and uh, see what you come up with. Mate, the first one is uh, your favourite childhood memory.
1: Far out, Hop. Uh, favourite childhood memory. I reckon my favourite childhood memory was um, is, is my dad and his mates with their place called Bandra on the canals down there, and they were putting nets in. They were in a little tinny, three of them, and they were pretty pissed and they were falling out. And I was on the edge it was the midnight and they shouldn't have been there because you weren't allowed to throw nets in the river. And they were they were really pissed and they were having <laughs> the best laugh. And they were falling out, they were they were just they were all over the place and they were laughing so hard. And I remember thinking, I want to be on that boat so bad. Those blokes are having the best time. That was my dad and his two mates. And for me, that's always stuck in my head. Just how much of a good time they having. They weren't. They were. They were doing the wrong thing, but they weren't hurting anyone.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they they weren't doing any wrong, to be honest. They were just having a bit of fun and, and catch, try, trying to catch some fish. They were just pissed and thought it'd be a good idea and went out there. And and for me, that's that's one of my my. I got so many memories of that with the old man, but that was one real funny one. <laughs> What's a body part that you couldn't, you wouldn't mind losing? Huh. Where do I start? <laughs> nah, not, I can walk, I can talk, I can run, I can do things. You know what? I'm, I'm, I hope this doesn't sound the wrong way, but I'm, I'm very blessed to have a body that um, I'm able to use every day, that yeah. I've been able to use for my career to make a living, to feed my kids with. Um, my, my faculties are, are generally mostly intact. Uh, I think for me to try and change something would be would be the wrong thing. Yeah, it would be selfish yeah. to be changing what I've been given. Yeah, good answer. Uh, what's your biggest screw up in the kitchen? Complaining to the <laughs> missus that maybe this isn't right. <laughs> <laughs> Probably that uh, one, mate. That's a great one, mate. Uh, what's the closest thing to real magic? I, I use the word magic all the time. Like everyone says, "How was this? Oh, it?" I was magic. <laughs> I think. The closest thing i've had to real magic was when i three things watching my boy and my daughter and my son come out of my wife i was like far mm-hmm. out that that just happened yeah. and comes out kicking and screaming that to me and then the next one was uh on father's day last when it was father's day last father's day there's a little place over here called seal island little wave off Hillary's there little island took yeah. the boat out there jumped off there was no one out it was a perfect sunny day and me and my boy sharing waves yeah. for an hour and a half no one there just these fun little waves in the, like out in the ocean and there's a lot of sharks out there like, it's a little yeah. sharky and to the point where last week a man was attacked on the neck over here right out there by a, white, a three-meter white pointer, and my boy goes, Dad, did you see that? We're out there. I said, yeah, it's magic, mate, it's magic. <laughs> that was magic. Seren- yeah. Father's Day with my son searing some waves, doesn't get any better. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't come much better than that, mate.
0: Uh, last one, if your life was a movie, what song would be on the soundtrack?
1: Fuck, you asked me these, Hoppo. You shame me. I, I, I didn't. I didn't fucking bother to think. Um, <laughs> True blue, perfect. Johnny Williams, my dad and my favourite song. Well, mate, Danny, it's uh, been a
0: pleasure, mate. Thanks for coming into the beach shack and uh, telling your story. And mate, we'll have to catch up with a beer soon.
1: Well, you have a beer, I'll have a spritzer, mate. <laughs> Sounds All good, good. I look, look forward to it, bud. Look after yourself and stay safe over there, everyone. And thanks for having me on, champion. Cheers, mate.
0: What a great chat it was with Danny. Now let's go to Beach Banter. This week in the Beach Shack for Beach Banter, it's uh, Laurie Williams. Welcome, loss It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks, Hop. Mate, I thought uh, we'd talk about some of the
2: funniest rescues that we've done over the years. We've all done them. Uh, are there any that spring to mind? Well, I think the one that uh, the standout Rescue that! Uh, when you're talking about funniest rescues, um, I was down in the south corner. I think it may have been uh, the Backpackers Rip, which is off the second ramp along the beach, and uh, I saw uh, a couple of small arms go up in the air. Uh, they were at the back, and they were well past, uh, well past the break, and out past the board riders. So I jumped on the rescue board and paddled out. And uh, lo and behold, I had two young Brazilian girls, uh, quite attractive, and I knew straight away, you know, it was a solid, uh, probably a solid two metre wave breaking there, and um, there are a lot of guys out in the water surfing, and uh, I knew right then and there that I had to put both of them on the board. Anyway, I lifted them both onto the board. Um, they were both quite light, and I laid them uh, like a cake, layer up a layer. And once I got them on the board, I realised they were both wearing a g-string. So, <laughs> if uh, if you've seen the rescues done on Bondi Rescue, you'll realise that you know the obviously the only way to paddle your patient back in on a rescue board is you've got to lay. <laughs> Uh, not not quite on top of them but at the back of them so we had to arrange it so that um you know the weight was distributed well and we weren't going to nosedive when we came back into the beach well as i'm paddling back in there was a break in the between the sets so i got very lucky and uh as i paddled back in in towards where all the board riders were simultaneously everyone started applauding and wolf whistling (laughs) and you know you're talking about a crowd of nearly 50 50 guys and girls out there and they all started whistling and clapping. uh, And I'm sure it wasn't at my effort. It was just the fact that I had had these two well-tanned Brazilian girls wearing G-strings. I hope you believe me. Um, when I say that my mind was just on getting them back to the beach, nothing else. All I was worried about was what was behind me um, by way of surf and just get them back in and get them back in. I did Yeah, mate, I don't believe you. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I believe, well, you. I believe well, you mate I,
2: well, I, I watch you to do plenty of uh, plenty of rescues over the years we'll let your audience be the best judge of what actually <laughs> happened <laughs> I'll stick to my story thanks
0: <laughs> well mate uh, thanks Los, for, for popping in mate to the, the beach shack and uh, and telling your stories
2: it's uh, fantastic and so, like I said before it's always a pleasure to be here
0: <laughs> Now it's time to have a listen to the fans in the mailbag. This letter's from Kirsty, and she's from Queensland. Are you still competing in ocean ski races? Well, I've been uh, competing a fair bit over the last uh, probably four years, a bit more competitive than what I, had, I had been uh, prior. Well, I had probably two or three years where I didn't really race too much. Obviously, with the uh, COVID lockdown, we haven't been able to do as many races. This series this year has been cancelled, so we uh, won't be doing many races. But hopefully next year we can uh, get the series up and going again and I can then uh, do a whole lot more. There's one race that I really want to do in Hawaii called the Molokai. Uh, That's a race that I want to do at some stage before I get too old. But uh, hopefully the borders open up soon and... uh, I can achieve that goal. Thanks everyone for listening. Remember to subscribe to Life's a Beach wherever you get your podcasts and hit us up with questions, comments or follow us on our social media channels which you can find in our show notes. That's it for today, Beach fans. Stay safe and swim between the flags.